0: Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. This live recording is made possible by the generous donation and support of our subscribers. If you would like to join the growing community of seekers and believers who support MCC podcasts, just go to our website www.millervillechurch.org and you can make your online donation anytime. And now... Here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC.
1: Lord, you have said that you dwell in our praises. And so we would ask that as we open your word, that you would continue to speak to us. We know that your word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, um, while on the one hand you are um, instructing us warning us of the judgment to come, and on the other, you're giving us the way of salvation. And so we pray that we would have understanding today, that you would open our eyes, that we might behold the marvelous things that are written here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been going through a series, my name is Beth, by the way, if you haven't kind of figured that one out yet, and um, we've been going through a series on the covenant of God, and so uh, Sharon, I remember how I used to do them and you couldn't really read my slides. So Sharon's taken over from me and has made this beautiful slide of covenant and the covenant of God and understanding covenant right from the very beginning all the way through to the end. So from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of time to the end of time. God has, um, he operates out of covenant with us. And so we looked at covenant, um, the original covenant with Adam and Eve and creation as God is creating, he's covenanting with Adam and Eve and all the offspring, which is all of us, that we would care for our creation. And so we talked about that, and then we moved into uh, what happened to mankind and the sin of man that was, you know, started with the representation of of Cain um, killing Abel, the first, you know, two brothers, and there's murder, and how it just degenerated after that until God um, brought the flood, and He gave warning of the flood. Uh, we talked about that the last time. He gave actually a thousand-year warning. That the flood would come, and a thousand years is a long time, and it's certainly long enough that people are going, oh, well, you know, I don't really believe it. It hasn't happened yet. It probably won't happen, and that's exactly what they were doing. And uh, 120 years before the flood came, the Lord raised up Noah to start building the ark and to preach that there was a way out, that there was salvation. And shockingly, the world was in such a state that the only people who got on that ark was Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives. And so, and then, of course, all the creatures, because they all believed. <laughs> no, God just brought them there. <laughs> so uh, it is really shocking. And, um, you know, some sometimes our messages are heavier than other times. And this actually happens to be one of the ones that I think is a little bit heavier because it talks about our state and how we keep going down that path of sin, and um, the sin is, you know, in our culture, we just don't talk about sin, we don't talk about hell, we don't talk about judgment, and it's exactly like the days of Noah, and so I think we better take warning from the days of Noah and what was going on in their culture, because they were a thriving culture, things were happening, there were a lot of people, it's not like they were living like barbarians, they were civilized, and, um, they were, you know, doing things, but their, their um, propensity to sin, their propensity to rebel against God kept increasing, and um, it was like they were shaking a fist at God and, and what he had called them to. And so um, after uh, the flood came, and we, we talked about the flood, I just want to read this one verse about Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, because it it tells us at the beginning of Hebrews 11 that faith is actually believing the things that we can't see, but knowing for certain that they are true. And our faith is not this nebulous thing like we see, you know, at chapters where you see the little sign that says, you know, have faith. Well, we fill in the blanks. Have faith in God. And so um, Noah had faith in God, and it's this faith in God which is believing God. That's essentially what faith is. It's not this thing we drum up. It's just simply believing God for what he says. Um, By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, i.e., the flood. So long before Noah was born, God warned of the flood, and now Noah is believing these things. And um, in reverence, so in other words, in, in believing God, um he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household so he did he went ahead even though they had never experienced rain before certainly not the splitting open of the earth like what experienced through the flood they hadn't experienced anything like that before but Noah believed God that this was going to happen, and so much so that he built the ark. And if you want to get an idea of what that ark is like, you can go online, on um, you can just Google Noah's ark, answers in Genesis, and you'll see how monstrous this ark is. So it's not like you know he built a little boat; it's huge. And um, the replication of it, which they have done, is the largest. Um, structure made out of all wood that could possibly be without it falling apart. So it's a, a real feat of of engineering. And so he built that. And the sa- it was the salvation of his household. And by doing that, it says in Hebrews that he condemned the world. So in other words, he believed God. So it was possible to believe God. And yet the rest of the world didn't to their condemnation. And he became, Noah became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So it's not anything that he did. He was declared righteous by God because he believed God. And so the whole thing about the flood is God, two things. One is God will judge man. And over and over the flood throughout scripture is used to warn us that judgment is coming. So the flood is used to say, Yeah, judgment does happen. It is coming. And in the meantime, God has made a way of salvation. And that way of salvation is represented in the ark. In fact, Noah's name, Noah, means rest. So it's talking about the rest that we find in Jesus, the resting from our works. It's not our works. It's not doing good deeds that saves us. We don't get to um, before God and say, well, you know, I did all these good deeds. So what? did you believe me? That's the question. And so that's the only thing. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? That is the only question that there is. And so it's either yes or no. There is no sort of, you know, I kind of do. None of that. It's yes or no. And so um, that is how we obtained righteousness. And that's how Noah too obtained righteousness. It wasn't that Noah believed God and built the ark and therefore he was declared righteous it was he was righteous because he believed God and therefore he built an ark and so that's the same with us so that's kind of where we're at and we've gotten up that far and now this is after the flood I'm going back to Genesis chapter 10 okay so we're going to be looking at Abraham Um, his name is Abram at this point but we're going to um, just establish Some of the things that happened before Abram's time, and we're going to spend quite a few um, times on Sunday mornings looking at Abraham because the covenant made with Abraham is extremely significant and is used as an example of faith. So just like Noah um, and the flood is used as an example of judgment throughout scripture, so Abraham is used as an example of the person who has faith. What does that person look like? What kind of an attitude do they have? What do they end up doing? Like, you know, if you know the story of Abraham, he was a long ways from being perfect. And so what is it that satisfies God? And how was it that Abraham was chosen for God to make this covenant and to be used as our example of faith? So we're going to look at all those things as we look at the life of of Abraham in this short period in the context of God's covenant. So after Noah, he had three sons, Shem was the oldest, and then Japheth, and then Ham. And so we're going to follow a little bit of those three sons. Japheth, not so much, he's the one that um, he went off into, like there's a map that shows where they all went, so all of his kind of, you know, the generations after Japheth, they went up into the area that we would know today as Europe, Um, this is just broadly speaking here, uh, the sons of Ham went down into Africa, and then the sons of, of Shem were what we call the Semitic people, which is all, not just the Jewish people, but all the Arab nations. And so um, that was sort of where they went. But there, chapter 10 is really an overview. And then in chapter 11, which we're going to look at in 12, it gets down into the detail. So chapter 10 is just telling us broadly this is where we're going. It's sort of like um, you know when you pick up a book and it gives you the, the fly leaf at the front and you kind of know what this book is a little bit about, but you need to read the book to get the details. So it's the same thing. So we won't, we're not really looking at Japheth. We're really interested in Shem and Ham and what happens to them. And so we're going to start with looking at Ham. So the sons of Ham... And um, they stayed in this region for a while. It's not like they went down right away into all the ar- other areas. So at the beginning, everybody's sort of in this one area where the ark landed and in, in what we know as the Middle East. So um, at that time, Ham had these sons, Cush and Mizraim and Put and Canaan. So the fact that Canaan comes from Ham is very significant. Um, and the sons of Cush were Seba and Havilah, Sabta, Rama, Sabteca, and you say, the, you know, Sheba, De- Dedan, who are all these people? Well, if you look, they're all places, and you'll see that these places are named after these key people, and they moved down into um, th- that area of the Middle East, but also down towards uh, the, the top part of Africa. Now, Cush became the father of Nimrod, he, meaning Nimrod, became a mighty one on the earth. And so we look at um, this Nimrod. It says that he became a mighty one on the earth. His name, actually, Nimrod, means rebel. And so the whole idea of Nimrod is he was a rebel against God. And um, the fuller meaning of his name is let us rebel. And so Nimrod was a mighty one. He was a leader of the... People, like people followed him. He was like this wonderful looking guy and he was strong and he was mighty and he was an influencer. I don't know if you know of influencers today, but, um, you know, they're not always great people. And Nimrod was rebellious, rebellious against God. And it says um, the beginning of Nimrod's kingdom was Babel or Babel, you might know it as, or probably more clearly, Babylon. This is the beginning of Babylon. And Eric and Akkad and Kalne in the land of Shinar. So the land of Shinar is east of, of what became Israel. Um, the land of Shinar is all that land around the Euphrates River. And so um, Nimrod became um, sort of the leader of all that area. Now, um, there's other people that are important out of um, out of Nimrod. He also he built Babylon, but he also built Nineveh, which became the capital of Assyria. Now, if you haven't figured out by now, Nineveh, Babylon, and then down further, we find that um, there's also the Philistines in verse fourteen, where it says, "From which came the Philistines." So the Philistines, they lived along the coastline of the Mediterranean. These all are nations who hate God's people, all of them. And so that's really what we see is their root is in who Ham is. And we think, well, why did Ham's line go so awry? Why is it from his line that we see this? And the answer to that really is back in Genesis 9 when they first get off the ark in verse 20. So when they first get off the ark, and they were on the ark for over a year, when they get off, it says that Noah began farming, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. And Ham, you know, puts here the father of Canaan. So he's not the father of Canaan right away, not not here yet. But because Canaan's coming out of him, it's explaining why Canaan is like this. So Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father. And instead of covering up his father, he went and he got his two brothers because he wants to show them and laugh at their father. And it t- it talks about this in um, Habakkuk. I just want to quickly read that verse in Habakkuk. Well, I won't bother um, looking it up right now. But in Habakkuk, it says that, Um, shame and um, judgment on those who make a person drunk and then look upon their nakedness, is what we're told. And it's actually a reference back to this time that Ham does this. And so Ham, it would appear, has been involved in getting his father to this point of drunkenness and then taking advantage of his father. Now, some would say that even, um, you know, that there was a homosexual act that happened here. I don't know. It doesn't tell us that. But it does um, bring shame on, on Ham. But Shem and Japheth, the other two brothers, instead of coming in and joining in with Ham, they do, do something different. They take a garment, they laid it upon both their shoulders and they walk backward and they draped the garment over their father, not looking at their father. That's what Ham should have done, but he did not. And not only did he not, he wanted others to join in with him on his sin. Have you ever noticed that when people do wrong? They want others to join in because it kind of gives credibility to what they're doing. And so um, Shem and Japheth did not join in. And the result is, it's not that Ham is now punished because of this one act. It's telling us this so that we see this is the heart of Ham. This is what he's like. And so this is what he teaches his children, who teach their children, who teach their children, who teach their children. And from generation to generation, we see this deterioration in the line of Ham until all of these nations are coming out of this one line, and they all hate God's people, the Hebrew people. So then we wonder, well, how did the the rest of these people come? So if we keep um, reading, Canaan, verse 15, became the father of Sidon, his firstborn. Sidon is where Jezebel is from. It's on the coastland in Heth and the Jebusite. The Jebusites are the people group that were in Jerusalem before Israel who also hated Israel. The Amorites, longtime enemies of the Israelites, same with the Gergeshites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, um, and so on and so on and so on. And afterward, the families of the Canaanite were spread abroad. So after, they were spread out. But the territory of the Canaanite extended from Sidon up in the north as you goes toward Gerar, which is the Philistine um, area down in the south, still on the coastline of the Mediterranean, as far as Gaza. Ever heard of the Gaza Strip? Why is there so much trouble there? It's got its root way back here in Genesis with these people that have come here God's people and those who are against God and there's this fighting that goes on and it's been there right from the beginning as you go toward and now this is at the the base of the Dead Sea at the bottom of the Dead Sea Sodom Gomorrah ever heard of those places Adma and Zeboim, as far as Laisha. And these are all um, later talked about. But Sodom and Gomorrah were so wicked that even an angelic visitation would not change them, and they wanted to sin against the angels that visited them. That's how much they had deteriorated. So, and that comes quite a bit later. These are the sons of Ham according to their families, according to their languages, by their lands, by their nations. So that's that's sort of the offspring of Ham. But now we're going to look at Shem. And there's a whole bunch of names in Shem, of which I just want to pick up a couple of them. Um, one is Uz in verse 23. So the sons of Aram were Uz. And if you know um, your scriptures here, that's where Job is from. Job was a godly man who worshipped and honoured God. And so he's from the land of Uz and um, our Pakshad, he becomes um, important to us later, but he became the father, you know, a couple generations there in verse 24 to Eber, and Eber is where we get the word Hebrew, so the Hebrew people came out of Eber from Shem, and um, the two sons to Eber, the one was named Peleg, In his days, the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. But Peleg is the interesting one, because Peleg, his name means divided, and it was in his day, it tells us right here, that the earth was divided. So the continents, and we know know, from our study of geology, were once connected, this is when they got disconnected. And remember, it's an overview. So I think this happened probably after the whole Tower of Babel thing happened. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. So it's just giving us an overview of this. These are the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their languages, by their lands, according to their nations. And then it just wraps it up. These are the families of the sons of Noah. So there we have it. That's like in a nutshell where all these people groups are from. But it's actually in chapter 11 that we learn why they all kind of separated. Like why didn't Noah's sons just stay together and everybody kind of stay together and eventually spread out as you need a little more space until the whole world is populated? God had told Noah... When they got off the ark, he said the same thing as what he said to Adam and Eve. He said, be fruitful and multiply and spread over all the earth. So God did not want them to congregate. He said, I want you to spread out because he wanted the earth to be populated by people. God loves people. There's a huge movement now where the world is saying, you know, people are the problem. If we didn't have people, this world would be a great place. Have you heard that? I don't know who's saying that, but I think it's people who are saying that, which is crazy. So, you know, God loves people, but people don't always love God. And so um, we end up with a lot of problems because of that. So it starts off at chapter 11 saying that the whole earth used the same language and the same words. Remember, they're all from Noah. So they all have the same language. They all can understand each other, but this is what happens when that's the case. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Now remember, what character was important with Shinar, with the land of Shinar? Who was it? The mighty Nimrod. And so he's giving leadership. And they said to one another, Come. Let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. So in other words, they don't have, you know, stones like we have. They can't go to the river stone. It's, you know, kind of desertous. And so they make um, bricks. And they use tar, which, you know, we call that oil today. (laughs) They use um, tar for mortar. And they um, said, come, let us build for ourselves, not for God, but for ourselves, a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth so you can see right here in this one statement let's build a huge tower that goes right up to heaven and we'll show everybody who's god it's us it's not god it's us and you know how God told us to scatter and to spread abroad. We're not going to do that. We're going to keep and build a city. And this city is going to be mighty and powerful. And it will show our great name. Not God's great name, our great name. So we see man's pride is all mixed in here. And the Lord came down to see the city. So the Lord is coming down physically. And, and any time you see the Lord appearing Physically, we know that it's Lord Jesus Christ who is appearing. He didn't just come at the time of the, um, you know, at Christmas, he's been all along. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they all have the same language, and this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. So he's not saying, you know, man really is so amazing. He's going to be so powerful that he's going to be able to take over the place of God. That is not what's being said. What's being said is it's a, it's a statement about man's rebellion. Here is man, come together. We have given them unity. Um, got, the Godhead is speaking, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have given them unity. We've given them the same language, and we've given them the same purpose to, you know, be fruitful and multiply. And this is what they do. They go against what we have called them to do, and they are all about them and about their name and not about God's great name. And so he says, so now, Anything that they want to do, they will be able to do in their rebellion. So what what God is saying is that their rebellion will continue to get worse and worse and worse until we're in the same state as right before the flood. And so God says that isn't going to happen again. It's not going to be like that. And in order to prevent that, it says that... Um, Verse 7: Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So it's man's sin that causes division. Division is not because God ordained it, it's because of man's sin. As a result of our sin, we are divided. It is a result of our sin that we have racism. It is a result result of our sin that we have um, cultural division where we're you know in conflict with one another it's because of our sin that the generations conflict with one another and man to man woman to woman man against woman like all of these divisions really come as a result of man's sin and so the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city They stopped building that that city, that tower of Babel. And so it's because of man's sin that now God is saying, you know what, my will will not be thwarted. The plans of God, it tells us in Scripture, will not be thwarted by man's sin. And so even though man sinned and said, you know, we're not going to scatter all over the earth, God confused their language, gave them different tongues, and now they can't build because they can't understand each other. And so they start to spread out, and they're scattered anyway. And that was always God's design that they be scattered, but not in the way that it happened. So therefore, its name, verse 9, was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language. So, so Babel, or some will say Babel, um, Babylon um, means confusion. And God confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. And then we get into these are the generations of Shem. And so, you know, we had a little bit of that in 10, and now we get more detail in chapter 11. And um, it really takes us right down through um, uh, the generations until we get to the man that we're interested in. It will be Abraham. Abraham. So remember that um, Shem lives in this area of what we know today as the Middle East. And so Shem, it says, lived 500 years after he became the father of our Pakshad, and he had other sons and daughters. So where are all these people coming from? well, God gave them a long life and a lot of children. So everybody had a long life and everybody had a lot of children. And so the world is getting populated pretty quickly, just like it did back in Adam and Eve's day. Now it's happening in Noah's day. And Noah is still alive while all this stuff is happening. So um, they really lived a long time. And um Eber uh, is one of the ones that we're interested in, verse 15. He lived 34 years, and he became the father of Peleg. We already learned about Peleg, and Eber lived another 430 years after he became the father of Peleg. He had other sons and daughters, and so on and so on. So we're only following a few of them. We don't get, thank goodness, all the names. We'd be here all day talking about all the different names. Um, So we have these but we get down to verse 24 and it's at verse 24 we see Nahor and Nahor lived 29 years and became the father of Terah now this is interesting to us now because Terah um, is the father verse 26 of Abram so this his name is Abram before God changes his name to Abraham so he's the father of Abram Nahor and Haran now, these are the records of the generations of Terah. And I just want to say a word about that phrase. Now, these are the records of, or these are the generations of, um, is a phrase that's used throughout Genesis, particularly in these early chapters, but it's used throughout. And it's really showing us a division in the book of Genesis. So it's telling us, okay, we're embarking on a new thing. But it tells us more than that. It tells us that these, this is true history. This isn't a story like a fairy tale. This is true history when we see this. These are the records of. It's written down. And Moses wrote this down, given to him um, probably both, uh, certainly by oral tradition, but God himself inspired Moses to write these things down many years later. And so um, these are the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. Uh, Nahor, for those who are interested, became the father of Laban, which becomes very important in the story of Rebekah. So um, these three men are all very important. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth, and now we find out where they are, in Ur of the Chaldeans. So the Chaldeans are the people group of the Babylonians. So it starts off with the Babylonians. They're living over in Ur, which is near the Euphrates, and it's in the whole area of the Chaldeans, which is the overall people group of the Babylonians that the Babylonians came out of. And so that's where Terah is from, and that's where they're living And that's where Abram was born, Nahor, and Haran were all born in Ur of the Chaldeans. And so they were born under the influence of Nimrod and all the stuff that was happening under Nimrod in the generations of Nimrod. They're living in that culture. And Terah, we learn in other places in the scripture, was a moon worshiper. He was an idolater. And he worshipped the moon and and the stars, but the moon god was the big one. And there's a huge ziggurat that was built. A ziggurat is like um, a tower. We still have towers in that land. And it's a four-sided tower that's built up to a god. And The ziggurat in Ur was built to the moon god. And so Terah was a worshiper in this ziggurat of um, the moon god. And Abram is born to him. But um, it says Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. Okay, weird thing. She was also Terah's daughter, but not the same mother, different mother. And which is why later he says she's my sister because she is his half sister. And this, remember, is back in the days before they were instructed not to do this kind of thing because in those days, it didn't have the degeneration of the genetic pool. And so we're still building up the peoples of the of the world. And so um, he took Sarai for a wife, and um, the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran the father of Milcah in Isca. And if you draw their family tree, it's kind of interesting. At least I found it interesting. I'm sure you will too. And Sarai was barren. She has no child. Super important. Because she's going to stay barren for a long, long time. And so she doesn't have, she can't have children. And it tells us clearly it's Sarai. It's not Abraham, it's Sarai that the problem lies. And Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson and Sarai his daughter-in-law his son, Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan, which is the land that we know today as modern Israel. And they went as far as Haran, which is now a place. A lot of these places are named after these people that are in these early years. And I think probably it was named Haran after the dead son. And so they settle in Haran, which is just north of Israel, and they settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So he never makes it down into Canaan. He dies in Haran, north of Canaan. And, um so we say, well, it sounds to me from that scripture like it was Abraham, or that it was Tara that was called out of Ur, not Abraham, which we have commonly held. And so I'm going to refer us to Acts chapter seven, verse two, where it talks about that. And Stephen is giving um, basically his swan song. it's his it's his dying sermon. Um he's going to be stoned at the end of the sermon and he's going to die and see the Lord, and he's talking to the um, leaders of Israel who have closed their heart to God, and they're rebelling against God, even though they have a pretense of following after God. And so he's um, going through it, and Scripture interprets Scripture. That's how we learn these things, is by reading the whole counsel of God. And it says in Acts chapter 7, verse 2, Um, Stephen talking hear me brethren and fathers the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia so Ur before he lived in Haran and said to him depart from your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you then he meaning Abraham departed from the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him into this country, meaning Israel, in which you are now living. And so we see that it was God who placed on Abram's heart to leave. And we learn in scripture that Abram was not satisfied with his father's religion of um, following after the moon god. That was not okay with Abram his heart was stirring and God called him now how God called him it doesn't tell us if it was you know this vocal thing that he heard or whether it was in his heart it doesn't matter God called him and God called him out of this place of this idolatrous moon god worship center and said we're going to go to the place I'm going to show you now Abram has no idea where that is and that's what faith is all about so that's why Abram this and many other instances we're going to see in his life, this is why he's our example of faith. He has no idea where he's going. He has no idea of his future. All he knows is that, you know, his um, brother has died, and he's kind of adopted Lot. His brother's uh, son, is his nephew, kind of adopted him as a son. He's taking care of him. He's got Sarai, who doesn't seem to be able to have children of her own. So, you know, Lot is kind of in their family and his father, who is, you know, getting on, and he's going to leave. Where he's going, he doesn't exactly know. And so he follows the Euphrates River up north. That's how you get across. You don't go east-west because of the desert, so you follow the river. And so he follows the Euphrates River, and he gets across, and then he comes to an area that they kind of settle in and um, name it probably doesn't say that he named it but it seems reasonable to think that Um, named it haran and there in haran Terah dies because listen to what god says to abram and this is actually what he says while abram is still in ur chapter 12 now the lord said to abram go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house So he's to leave Terah's household to the land which I will show you. And we're going to look at the rest of it in just a minute. But we see from this that he was to leave Terah behind. And so Terah, although he's not left behind in Ur, he's going to be left behind in the land above above Canaan, which is um, the land of Haran. And Laban, that's why Laban ends up living there. And later we'll see, you know, Abram sends his servant up to find a wife for Isaac and finds, you know, he says, you know, go up to Laban's house. That's why he says to go there. That's why Laban's a relative up there. And so so the Lord says to him, leave your father's house. So now Abram is going to leave Haran and he's going to go where the Lord will show him, which he still doesn't really know where that is. And so he packs up Sarai and Lot comes with him and he leaves all of the rest of them there. And um, here's the promise that God gives to Abram. So in the midst of this culture that is full of idolatry, even though they have just been through the flood and you know these generations have passed, they have not learned their lesson and they have degenerated right from off of the ark they've degenerated into that same sin. So it's not like God cleaned out sin with the flood and now we're starting all over with Noah and and good guys. It wasn't like that. Even on the ark was Ham. And so we start with the world degenerating with sin right from the beginning all over again. And I think the lesson for us to learn from this is God's great heart for you and I that he actually does care about us, even though judgment is coming. Judgment is coming not because God hates us. Judgment is coming because he hates sin. And unfortunately, we all sin. I wish that it were not so. I wish it were not so with me. But it's true. And because of that, because of that rebellion, sin is rebellion against God. And you might say, well, I've never sh- shaken my fist at God. Well, that's great if you haven't. But maybe you have. And if you haven't, there are other things that God has said, don't do this, and you just went ahead and did it. What is that but rebellion? What is it when God says, believe me that Jesus Christ is my only begotten son, and you don't believe that? What is that but rebellion? And so every one of us has that rebellious heart. There's not one of us that have escaped it. And so that rebellious heart is not going to ever want God and the only way of salvation is for God to reach out to us that is the only way and for us then as he reaches out as just like Abram called out of Ur to come to a land that you do not know so that he calls us out of our culture out of the world that we know and says come and follow me you don't know what this faith like is going to be faith life is going to be like but I want you to trust me and to believe me and to follow after me. And so Abram does. And this is what God says to him. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. There are few in the known world that don't know who Abraham is, one way or another, and so you shall be a blessing. Now, how is Abram a blessing? I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, I don't know if you know the history of the world very well, but you certainly know what's happening today in the Middle East with you know, Israel against all these Arab nations. There's fighting, and there's all this carrying on, and both groups claim to be from Abram. And indeed, for the most part, they are. One is from Isaac, Abram's son, and one from Ishmael, Abram's older son, actually. And so um, how is the world blessed by these two sons and all the generations that have followed and all the fighting and the warring and the peace talks that have been attempted and failed and you know the missiles that are still going back and forth between them like how is this blessing the world so it's not those people groups that are blessing the world it's something else and that something else is through the line of abraham will come the lord jesus christ and we'll see that you can follow Abraham all the way down to Jesus Christ in the book of, of Matthew and in the book of Luke. It gives us Jesus' genealogy, and it traces it back to Abraham. And so out of Abraham will come the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is him who will bless all the families of the earth. There is no one who is outside the love of God, and there is not one person Who is outside his reach there is no one that can be it can be said that he doesn't care about them and so just like abraham in the midst of all this turmoil in his world god called this one man and he said come and follow me and i will take you to a place you do not know and that same very same thing is said to each one of us come And follow after him. And he will take you to a place you do not know, but it will be a place of blessing. It may not be a place of blessing always here on earth. Like we want good health, lots of money, a car that never fails. Like to us, that's what blessing is. But God says that real blessing is eternal life in his son Jesus Christ. And the alternative is the judgment that we saw at the flood, but even worse. And so the question is, which one are you going to be? So um, he, I w- just want to see here in Hebrews 8, I'm going to move over to chapter 11. We were there just a little while ago with Noah. And it goes on because this is the chapter where it's just listing all these people that had faith. So, you know, we heard about Noah. And then the very next verse, in verse 8, Hebrews 11:8, it says, By faith abraham when he was called obeyed by going out to a place which was he was to receive for an inheritance so he was getting it not because of any good thing he's done but god is giving it to him and he went out not knowing where he was going by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise so this is the land of promise canaan is the land of promise as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with isaac and jacob So his son and his grandson, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. I love that verse because here it's such a huge contrast with Nimrod and the Tower of Babel and building Babylon. And Babylon, in case we don't know, is heard from the beginning of Scripture to the end. So just like we hear about Abraham... So we hear about Babylon. And Babylon is not just a continual enemy of Israel, but is a hater of God. Until we get into Revelation chapter 17, towards the very end of the scriptures. And it says, and it's the demise of Babylon, chapter 17. And it says about Babylon that she, meaning the city, is the great mother of harlots. And the abomination where all abominations are rooted. And so all of idolatry, really it stems out of the heart of man, but it's brought out in the city of Babylon. So I'm not talking about just this city in, you know, the historical city of Babylon, but what Babylon represents in the heart of man, even more so. And so out of Babylon has come idolatry. And this is where Abraham went. Or came from, and instead of that being his place, he instead went for the city of God, which is a city that is the renewed city, the new Jerusalem, Zion, where God, Jesus Himself, will reign. And so it tells us in Ephesians this is the call for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, um, verses 19 to 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens like Abram was as a wanderer, but you are fellow citizens brought into the promised land with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So the New Testament and the Old Testament, the writings of scripture, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So the cornerstone is the true stone on which the whole building is laid. So if that cornerstone is awry, the whole building will be. But if it's true, the whole building will be unshakable. And so Jesus Christ is the cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are are being built together, the believers, into a dwelling of God in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. So the takeaway for us is looking at the root of sin. It's in every single one of us. There's nobody who is free of that. And that root of sin causes us to be rebellious. And um, that rebellion is rooted in unbelief. And so, um, resentment and, um, rebellion, which always comes out of resentment is built on the, uh, the unbelief of what God has said, of what he has warned us about. It comes out of man's pride that we are the best, that we are the greatest, that whatever we do that will last. And the fact is it doesn't last. It leads to death. And instead, God has given us a way out. He would that none would perish Judgment doesn't come because he hates men. It comes because he hates sin. And so now the choice is left to us. Which side are we going to be on? To follow after God or to stay in that sinful state? And it's as simple as believing him. He's made it so easy, and yet there's so many who still rebel against him. But it is so easy that it's almost, it feels sometimes like it's too easy but once we embark on that faith walk, he just opens it up more and more to see what living by faith really right. is like. And we do it by his Holy Spirit. So, how do we know that we believe? How do we know if we're a true believer? We know if we follow after him, if we're interested and if we're concerned about the things he says if we want to um, pray and talk to him, if our heart is yearning for him, these are the things that build up in us. We don't start out that way, but slowly as we um, walk that walk of faith and we learn about him, it's just like Abram. He didn't start off super strong, but he finished well, and so will every true believer in Jesus Christ. So I'd like us to just um, close in prayer and if you've been thinking about this for a while and you think, "Well, I've I really never made that commitment. Perhaps now is the day of salvation." That's what God says. Today is the day of salvation. We don't know what tomorrow holds. And so if that is your situation and you're ready to make that step, moving away from that root of sin and following after the lord jesus christ and the blessings that come through following his name through believing in him then i would invite you to pray with me and so um, i I will just pray now and i would just ask you to close your eyes and um, for those that would like to make this step very simply that we would ask, O Lord Jesus, we hear you calling us and we would choose to follow after you. Forgive us for all of the sins, the rebellion, the times when we have disregarded the things that you have told us and we know you've spoken to us and yet we have not wanted to hear. The times when we have purposely decided to do that which we knew was wrong and yet we wanted to do it anyway and did it. For the times when we have had evil thoughts or lust that has been, um, that has taken us down a pathway that has been so terrible. Lord, we would ask that you would forgive us for that and we would repent of it. We'd turn away from that and choose to follow after you wherever that may take us. And Lord, I pray that as we walk that faith walk, for any who have prayed this and asked forgiveness and have chosen to follow after you lord we would pray together with all the believers that we would be faithful to you that our hearts would be true that we would be people who love you and learn how to love you more and more as we learn more of how much you love us we pray this in jesus name amen
0: you'll find a warm relaxed atmosphere at mcc we love worship and music here We are a Christ-centered church with all kinds of opportunities to reach out to the communities. It is our desire to direct people to the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of all life, hope, and true transformation. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. Coffee and snacks are served, children's church, and child care
1: are available.